Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I'm out in the world. I'm in Chicago, uh, a city that I every time I come to, I like more and more. I love this city. I'm, I'm in this room, in this hotel, looking directly across at this gorgeous old, old, old apartment. But I don't know. It's a beautiful old building. And I have those moments where I'm like, look at those windows. I bet you life is better in there. Probably not. If you've got an iPhone, if you've got access, you have access to that roller coaster right in the palm of your hands. Where do you want to go today? To hell and back? You got it. You don't even have to get out of bed. So I'm working on another episode of Easy. That's Joe Swanberg's uh anthology series on netflix uh if some of you saw it last year i did one with um emily Ratajkowski and jane adams and, but this year it's a different story and uh i'm working with uh, michaela watkins how is she not the best jane adams again i'm working with kate berlant the comedian who i've only met once we're shooting today but it's uh it's been good it's been good. I like being here, and, and the shooting schedule is pretty easy, and it's a great city. I walked around. Jane Adams coerced me, cajoled me, pressured me to buy a pair of fry boots. Classics. I don't know why in the back of my brain I was like, nah, fry boots, done, not, not my thing. And for some reason, if the store is organized nicely enough, if the boutique is doing its job, you will put things on and think, how could I ever have not had these? So that's going to happen. Fry boots are going to happen on my feet. They're happening. They're happening as we speak, the fry boots. <laughs> but uh, today on the show, we have uh, AJ Mendez Brooks. You probably know her as AJ Lee. If you are a wrestling fan, that is her name. And uh, I, many of you know her husband, uh, CM Punk. Phil Brooks, and many of you know that uh, I will be on a wrestling show on Netflix uh, called Glow. The first trailer of that, the first major trailer, like with stuff in it, is out there and available on the internet. Looks pretty good, good pace. I'm excited about it, and I know it sounds weird for me to say like I have, like I'm excited about it. Like I don't know what's going to happen. I've only seen five episodes of the thing. 
I mean, I know how it ends and everything, but I don't know how it all. It it looks great, and I'm excited. And there's going to be sporadic uh, uh, wrestling oriented uh, interviews throughout, uh, you know, the lead up to the show. But this one was really just about um, AJ's amazing uh, new book about her struggles with um, some mental illness and some drugs and wrestling and and child. It's just a it's a full on story, and she's pretty amazing. And uh, I was happy to talk to her. And also before. We talked to AJ, uh, the the always annoyed uh, Fred Stoller stopped by. Yeah, you know, every once in a while you got to check in with old Fred. He's got a new Kindle single about the 1989 HBO Young Comedian special out, which it's pretty interesting because he was on it. It's called Five Minutes to Kill. You can get it on Amazon. But I remember that show. I remember those guys. I remember all the people that were on that show. I remember that I was not on it. Also wanted to mention our friend uh, Andy Kindler. Those of you who know podcasts, who know comedy, you comedy nerds, those of you who know my TV show, if you're a comedy person, you know Andy Kindler. And uh, I needed to mention that uh, that Andy, my dear friend Andy, finally has a podcast to call his own. If you listen to podcasts, you know that Andy is a podcast guest extraordinaire, and now he has his own place to do his Kindler thing. That's a lot of Kindler. It's called Thought Spiral, and you can get it now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Andy and J. Elvis Weinstein from MST3K and Freaks and Geeks, they join forces weekly to solve the problems of the world and inevitably uh, much smaller issues. Go listen to the first episode of Thought Spiral now. Do it now. Get some Andy. If, you're, if your brain isn't working at a, a frenetic enough frequency, you might need some Kindler in your life. That's what I say. Maybe he'll use that as a tag. Just throw in my buddy uh, Andy a, a little help. You know, sometimes when I do this show, I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. I know I can't see past my own uh, insanity and fury and fear and whatnot. But every once in a while, I get the email. You know, I get the email that uh, that just uh, you know it, it makes me feel. Like something, you know, something, you, you know, when everything is so overwhelming and, and operating at such a, a, a an insane pace, it's just this never ending, you know, shitstorm or tsunami or however you're looking at it, whatever team you're on. I mean, it's it's a little exhausting and, you know, things get diminished, little things, quality of life things, just moments. You know, you, if you have a cloud hanging over you, your brain is in the middle of chaos because you've engaged it, you, you know, sometimes life Life gets lost in the undertow. But, you know, every so often I get an email and I just wanted to share this because I, I it, it, it's exactly what this show can do and, and, uh, and it makes me happy to know that these kind of things happen. The subject line is Marin and Shakespeare in the classroom. Hi, Mark. I know enough about you being a fan that I think I can skip the Mr. Marin and go right to Mark. I am a high school English teacher. The fact of the matter is close to 90% of my students are Hispanic, many of whom are undocumented or have undocumented family members. I am teaching a large group of students who are in quite literal peril in the age of Trump. I get questions like, my parents are undocumented. Am I going to be okay? My brother was arrested for possession of pot a couple years ago. Will he be deported? I do my best by saying, 
Will he be deported? I do my best by saying that California is a state that protects its immigrants, but I can't offer them false assurance. Their families might be split up. It's a fucking tough spot to be in. I want to be honest with them, but that honesty can be so hard for them to hear. I am not allowed to discuss my political beliefs, but I think it's morally my duty to teach all students, but specifically these students, about what the hell is happening in today's world so they are informed. So I have to get creative. I just heard your conversation with Sir Ian McKellen and specifically his beautiful monologue he read to you about strangers and refugees. Oh, fuck yes. That's my way in. I've written a lesson where we use his monologue to talk about the dangers of discrimination, the dangers of fear of the other. I tie in Lord of the Flies. I connect it to Ellie Wiesel's night. Your experience with Sir Ian, I feel like I can be on a first name basis with him as long as I have the sir in there, is the catalyst I've been searching for to allow me to help these students the best I can. It allows me to talk frankly about what's happening with fucking William Shakespeare to back me up if anyone has a problem with my lessons. The lessons are going well, and I just want to let you know that you are directly helping kids who need to be helped now. Thanks for that, and thanks for everything else you do. Best, Mike. <sighs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad about all of that, and I'm glad that the power of Shakespeare has that power, and I was taught that face-to-face with Sir Ian McKellen, and, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that, it, if anything, there's some context, some historical context, some exploration of these types of hatreds and fears and horrors that really go back to the beginning of human beings. Thanks for that email, man. Seriously, I appreciate it. All right, so Fred Stoller, what do you need to know? You, if you listen to this show, you know Fred. I, I love Fred. I'm, I'm happy he's doing okay. I'm happy he's doing this Kindle single thing. And this one that's out now is about the 1989 HBO Young Comedian special uh, called Five Minutes to Kill. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. And this is me and uh, the inimitable Fred Stoller back in the... Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grammar or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts garage fred yes how are you headphones on whatever you want buddy okay how you feeling i'm pretty good you know oh that that makes things yeah okay is that all right yeah too loud yeah it is too loud yeah oh i think hold on hold on that's it yeah i'm always like the guy don't make trouble what do you mean you don't make trouble? No, you know, my favorite joke, you know, the Jewish, these two Jews about to be executed. Yeah. One says to the other, 
maybe we should ask her a blindfold. The other guy goes, Murray, don't make trouble. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like, hey, um, Mark's doing me a favor. Don't ask about the volume. <laughs> don't be nervy. You know, that's why I haven't made it big. I, the comics are nervy, and I always get uncomfortable Yeah, when people are... Uh, pushing yeah. oh yeah yeah trying to get free seats yeah or, you know so yeah so you think that was the the liability i think so this not entitlement when i used to headline i used to feel sorry for people that were waiting online an hour to see me as their weekend <laughs> so that's not good confidence i feel sorry for them <laughs> so wait now fred tell me about the success of the seinfeld book my seinfeld year yeah yeah no it, it did well it was a kindle single and yeah and it's um, it was about my tumultuous right. Well, but, yeah, yeah, writing on Seinfeld. But how? What? What's this Amazon deal? I didn't know they were doing. You got a deal with them to do this one? No, not like a holding deal or anything. No, but, but I mean they paid you money. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I I signed something. It's um. Could I could I plug what it's called? Yeah, of course. It's called Five Minutes to Kill. How the HBO Young Comedian Special Changed the Lives of 1989's Funniest Comics. Oh, that's good. So that was the year you were on with, within. Who was the lineup? Okay. Uh, David Spade, yep. Rob Schneider, Drake Sather, mm. Warren Thomas, yeah. and Jan Karam. Warren and... and uh, Don't give away too many endings. It's a, it's a twist, but yeah. Oh, there's a twist? Well, uh, but, but we know what happened. War everyone. Warren and Drake, didn't, it didn't end up well, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. All right, we gave it away, but that's okay. What do you mean we didn't give anything away? I'm just away. kidding, I'm just kidding. Yeah, their Meaning, careers uh, went, uh, went down. Yes, yes. <laughs> but that's what I thought. Actually, I came up with the idea sort of because of you. Yeah. I was listening to your podcast, Driving, and Rob Schneider was the guest. Yeah. And you said, what was your big break? He goes, the 1989 Young Comedian Special. Well, what the fuck? I was on that. What, what did I do wrong? Wait a minute. Why wasn't it my big break? And it was David Spade's big break. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I started thinking about it, and I went, yeah, there's other people on it that wish they do whatever I do. So I found it interesting. I love all showbiz stories, yeah. as you probably do, because sure. you host this. And this one, I think, out of the Young Comedian Specials, the six of us, all hopeful, had a very diverse trajectory of careers and lives. Sure. I ran into Jan recently. Mm -hmm. uh, she's still doing it. Uh-huh. Right? Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's back. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, I loved Warren. Uh, I knew uh, I, Drake was very funny. Warren was a, a force of nature. We all know David Spade um, and, Rob. and Rob Schneider, of course, and you. Yes. So basically, well, it's... You know, I, I, it's sort of like those, I know you probably don't follow sports, I'm assuming, mm -mm. but it's like those, what happened to the NCAA, you know, five of some college and two became pros, one's a security guard, one yeah. got shot, you know, it's <laughs> like that kind of story, which I love. So basically... So how'd you, uh, how'd you put it together? What was the process? <laughs> well, I had to go out of my comfort zone and being... What, not, you mean outside? Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I had to walk away from the grove. Uh, yes, I had to bug people, which I suck at. And, yeah, and, and you mean you suck at it intentionally? No, like like <laughs> I tried doing a podcast. You can, you can effortlessly bug people. Yes, I'm I'm annoying without <laughs> thinking I'm being annoying. Uh, you know when I did your show, uh, the IFC show. Andy Kindler was being a bully at lunch going, this guy's who? He's the annoying guy. Yeah, the yeah. Jew, the Jew, the nebbish. That, that so is... he loved being someone he could bully that he thought was more Jewish I, than I, him. I think he was, it was tongue in cheek. 
Okay, but he was he bullied me another time, but that's all right. Oh, they, really? The, the, the two of you, the you know, the, uh, the perpetual uh, yes, uh, uh, neurotic spinning men, you know, bullying <laughs> each other. That's funny. I don't I bully to... him, but he was like. I'll this... tell you something. I, I guess, you know what? Andy can be a little uh, righteous. Yes, yes. And uh, he... Uh... Very funny, but like oh, when he's, he's passionate he's... about something. But I, I have to believe that he's not honestly bullying you. No, he's not wanting to hurt me and right. harmful. But he just... There was this... The show Bob's Burgers, they had pickups, you know, so everyone was going one at a time. Bob's Burgers, right? The, you were both voices on that. Yeah, I only did two. Yeah. He's he's a regular. He plays it down. All right, all but, right. But uh, no. So he was like hanging out there. and He wouldn't leave, even though his session was over. He was like schmoozing yeah. everyone. And then I'm just sitting there. He goes, this guy's so annoying. I go, Andy, you're the one schmoozing. He goes, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, Well, Andy, you know, as great is that, uh, you know, most people, when the cameras go on, that's when you turn it on. When the cameras go on, Andy turns it off. I, I did I did a few episodes of a sitcom with him and Bob Saget. Yeah. And this old character actor was going, guy, you're so annoying. Like, they would work, Paramount would have tours coming in, yeah. tours, and they'd be working the crowd. Oh, as really? Bob in, and Andy? And Andy. This one guy, just older, not Jerry Allback, Jerry... I forgot his name, but he was on The Sopranos. He goes, you too. Like, they, they cared more about getting laughs from the tourists coming in yeah. than in their scenes. Right, yeah. Andy's great with the crew. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I had to, I felt like I was a detective. Well, like the, let me just say sure. this before uh, it gets out of hand. Uh, yeah, I love Andy. I had oh, him yes. on my show many times. Obviously. A very funny man. Uh, and he's very aware of everything we're saying here. Yes. Right, Andy? Yes. He's also a religious listener to this show. Right, Andy? Yes. Right, Andy? Yeah. He, it must be just terrible. He's sitting there and he can't, he can't defend himself. He can't, he can't go, oh, 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 listen to the, the two of you guys doing the thing and he, the thing. He was at a thing going, oh, your friend, what's your book called? Chapter one, I'm nervous. Chapter two, what if they don't like me? Chapter three. I hope I didn't make a mistake. So he's making making. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. He got you pretty solid. He got me. So basically, <laughs> I had to interview yeah. relatives, managers, friends of all these people because this book is it's it's only one sixth of me. So if you find me annoying, um, there's other showbiz stories. So I found it really fascinating to get out of my head and talk to like people. Like who'd you talk to? I talked to uh, family members, like, Greg's kids. Uh, oh, let's go each one. Okay. Uh, but, all right. There's one I won't mention, right? Because uh, I would take everyone out to eat. You know, I, I yeah. treat them. They're, they're giving me stuff for a book. Right. One of them, uh, I had to take him to Malibu, to Nobu, is it called? Yeah. And first he goes, I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to get appetizers. Yeah. It was $70. <laughs> and then <laughs> he said, I got more information. So I met him at a waffle place. Oh, yeah. And, and so then he texted someone who set up a big interview. He goes, now it's a real meal at Nobu's, not not just the appetizers you owe me. And this was straight out of a Seinfeld I wrote. I don't know if you know Seinfeld, well, the Kenny Banyer episode. Right, right. Where Bruce Smirnoff in real life gave me an Armani suit and wanted a meal for it. Yeah. So he kept saying, I've got to save the meal. This doesn't count. Yeah. So this guy... He's a good guy, but but this is but for I your owe, research. I, yes, I owe him another meal at Nobu's. He thinks. Oh yeah, but he was friends of two of them. Oh okay, so he's a comic. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so I said, I said you're being a, a schnurra. Yeah, this is a Jewish word. Yeah. I go, you're um, you know, 
he said he said you got something out of this i should benefit too Uh because of me you got a big interview okay so now a lot of people young people under 30 didn't know about these hbo young comedian specials they were very important they were they broke uh kennison dice seinfeld so um it was weird just trying to uh get these interviews and, 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 and bug people. Did you talk to the people? Did you talk to uh, David Spade? I talked to Schneider at length. David, I got him, uh, Norm had him on speakerphone when they, they Norm would talk with, uh, he would tour with Schneider and Spade. Yeah. And he goes, so Spade, people miss, they thought, the dirt, the, I'm not going for the pathology with Spade and Schneider. They're the contrast. Yeah. Yeah, the ones, hey, this is the good stuff. Yeah. You know, so um, I didn't. What do you mean? Meaning, the contrast. Meaning uh, this is the opulent life. Oh, right. These were the guys that. Uh, right, that made it big. That that have the, the pools and the you know, mansions. Yeah. and. Well, Spade's pretty open these days. He, he is. I, I should have stayed. He gave me stuff. So what, now ultimately. The, the destination of this piece, I imagine, is is what did you find out about yourself in comparison to these people? I, I mean, because it doesn't seem like it seems pretty balanced how people ended up in a way like, you know, and, some people, two people made huh. it huge and, and three people, you know, for one reason or another, you know, three people made it big, made a lot of money. And then a few didn't. Well, I found out. Which I'm giving away the ending, but I don't care. No, it's not the ending. But just in general, what'd you find out about yourself? That we're we're all basically. I learned a lot, even from taking talking to Drake's kids uh, about being proud of what you've done. Uh-huh. About we're all really the same. Uh-huh. Like I, people at first, or comics. At first, I thought these were the two, and these are the ones that didn't. Mm-hmm. But when you find out in depth about everyone. I say frustrate, you know, we've all, some of us have bigger houses, deals, but frustration level, we're all the same. You know, I, I learned that. And like, also there's a lot of other factors that come into managing your talent and to knowing what to do with it and to having opportunities. There's luck, there's uh, exactly. persistence, there's, uh, you know, uh, you know, genius and, you know, there's just, you know, uh, cosmic uh, circumstances. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, yeah. Now, some people thought this was the best. Some would say, no, no, it was, it was a weak one. Uh, a young comedian special. Now, Yours? Yeah, um, because they, they like the more traditional, but I'm from the era when these, it's called Five Minutes to Kill, because you got to kill. And do you think that whole thing I grew up with in comedy, the five minute, six minute hunk you make it with is gone? Because there are people who are very big comedians, and I go, what was their Carson thing? Now I'm doing the voice. Or what was their yeah. young comedian special? So we're not in that era where five minute hunks. Nothing it, has the same traction as it did when there were three networks and one cable station. Yeah, and and in my era, like you're talking the whole country. It was unheard of, except for Carlin, for everyone in the world to do an hour every year, and it was so you had to really hone those five minutes. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, it seems to me that, I mean, for it to become a thing, like, I yeah. think Louis sort of made a thing. You yeah. got to do a new hour of a year, and, and Chris Rock as well. But if you look at the guys who put out a lot of comedy records, there were plenty of guys that were doing a new hour wow. or so, 
you know, every year or Daff two. again, yeah. No, but even before that, you know, like guys who did, uh, you know, old, you know, the old comedy records, you know, like that, those comedy records were at least 35, 40 minutes, right? Cheech and Chong, Bill Cosby, Steve yeah, Cos- Martin, Richard Pryor, all those guys that had put out multiple but records. now there's in- about probably 30, 40, or 50 comics that have hours every year that aren't that big, but the, you know what I mean? No, I know, because, you know, they, they need to generate... Because I think audiences are less tolerant. I mean, I think one of the reasons a lot of guys went down from the 80s was they never changed their hour. Or and because he, we, gonna, they, okay. were, they were trained, or me included, in that very crisp, well, that was crisp, no, no, but like the, the five-minute, joke, 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 joke. Well, the five-minute set was really for network television, and now, like, it's still the same. It's four and a half minutes now. It's crazy. Four and a half, five minutes for, for Fallon or, or, or uh, I don't know what Colbert has, but even back then, it was, but that was like a, wasn't a young comedian special like an eight? Ours got a little less because what happened was there are usually five people on it, and they really wanted to get Spade on. He, yeah. he tr- tried out twice. He didn't get on. And, and Dennis Miller, who hosted it, was really pushing Spade should be on it. And they didn't want to bump any of the other five. Right. So they decided, let's put Spade on. And they took a little bit of our time away. Plus, Dennis did a great 10-minute um, set. He did like a tw- or something, a long uh, opening 12-minute yeah. set. Very solid. So, did you talk to him? No, I don't. Um, I should have. Yeah, I wasn't nervy. Yeah, I, I kind of. Yeah, I, I felt. Uh, I learned. I learned from listening to the tapes why I, I don't do a podcast anymore. <laughs> because I'm an <laughs> asshole interrupting people, and I go, I listen to go fucking Fred. Stop interrupting them. You're yeah. interviewing them. Let them. Talk. Do you say that out loud? Did I say it out loud? When During the interview, do you say, Fred, stop talking? No, when I'd re-listen to them and transcribe <laughs> and, them. And you're saying that as you listen? Yeah. I, I <laughs> If I was self-aware, I some of them, you, hmm. I couldn't hear it because one woman wanted to go to a Korean steak thing where you sizzle it right there <laughs> and shh. And, uh, so, and I tried to... I paid... I paid places to transcribe it. It goes sizzling, sizzling <laughs> on the transcriptions. No, it does. Yes, it was going sizzle, sizzle. And and so I had to, I wasted money paying for transcriptions, these worst place, because they got lazy. Oh, that's the funniest thing. They got lazy. And so I'd have to listen to them a few times. Wait, who got lazy? The transcription places. They got lazy where they didn't really... Sp- I, I'm thinking... I, I ended up rewinding and go, okay, this is what John Ross said. He yeah. was good. So it's out now. Uh, it's called... Uh, kill- Five Minutes to Kill. I, I, it, it, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad you're engaged and having a good time and yeah. out there talking to people. You know, it's good for you just to talk to people. It really, it really, again, I, I, if I wasn't a, yeah, I see why you do podcasts. You, you get out of your head. And, right. Yes. And it really, there were some people I became friends with and uh, with the one guy until he demanded the Nobu, we hung out. The Nobu. Nobu is yeah. called. He, you know, we hung out a little bit. He became kind of. Well, you know, you know, but, I mean, comics are still comics. <laughs> but this, I, I became friends with Drake Sather's kids. Uh huh. I'm gonna play disc golf with one of them. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and they're doing okay. They are so good. Good. That's he, good to hear. They are really. 
Good. Good. So, hey, Rob Schneider, yeah, I know, I know you're wrapping this up, but um, <laughs> I get that neurotic look. But um, you take all the time you want. What about Rob? It was interesting talking to him. Yeah, Chris Rock a little bit. Um, Eddie Murphy. I didn't talk to him about this, but I did a, a part in a movie with him. I was cut from, and they still think their best days were the eighties. I'm talking to. Eddie's musing about we had youth and and Schneider the '80s the comedy boom at San Francisco, and I'm going Rob you're you're starring in movies you yeah. know, but they 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 muse about to me those weren't the good old days right well no it's interesting how you know for yeah me neither my depression was the worst in the '20s I was very uh, unhappy and sweaty and on yeah. drugs and 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 I was angry and bitter and. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it goes, but I, I guess that's the liability so, of being, because with comedy, it's very hard to hold on to the mantle, you know, like if you have a big success. It's hard to evolve that into a career that, that sustains itself. So those guys who are rock stars, I mean, sometimes if they didn't they go They didn't into, think of the, what to do next, or they thought well, it was going to be forever, and they... Well, I mean, at least they... Well, I mean, I don't know any of us do that very well, The what to do next. The guys who are really calculating, and you know who are the smartest guys? The guys who started with us and got into writing. They're, they're, they're guys the guys that I started with that were very average and became multi-millionaires writing right. that if you saw their act... But that was... They knew that, though. Yes. It wasn't a liability. They were like, I have a talent. I'm not going to put all my eggs in this fucking ridiculous basket of you know becoming a comedy star. Say, they use my talent the not, other way. A lot of us didn't think the comedy boom would end. We didn't think... There were guys in New York, very funny guys you never heard of, that when you talked about Rob... I talked about Rob Schneider and uh, Rock... Mm-hmm. Uh, Loving those days, or Murphy, yeah, they would drink top shelf all night long for free at the at the uh, catch. Yeah, screw women, sleep till four in the afternoon. So a lot of them, yes, they were, and they thought they were rock stars. So, so there was no real reason for them to think. Yes, yeah, so to those, those were the best days of their lives. Of course, you know. Then <laughs> yeah. you get you drink all night. Not that I did. I don't drink in, in New York. Then you come to a place like the Ice House. Yeah, and you get these like ski ball tickets for a drink, yeah. you know, those little tickets. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the last time I'm there, I go, could I have my drink tickets? The guy goes, I gave you them to you. I'm thinking, I'm not like a con man trying to get free drinks. <laughs> I don't remember getting them. You know, did you find in your pocket? Oh yeah, a little ripped orange thing that you could get a Diet Coke with. <laughs> that's, that's the big payoff, right? Yes, you get like a coupon. <laughs> Some places you get your own soda. Yeah, so it's... Uh, <laughs> You're yeah. doing good though. I I I am. I'm happiest. Uh, I don't know why I'm showing you paper. Like, hey, being creative. <laughs> Look at that paper. Yeah, I had I had notes. I think we covered everything. Yeah, you, Mark. What? You know, I'm not going to make the mistake I, uh-huh. I made before when people <laughs> are mentors like you. <laughs> when someone is a good guy, then I go, "Why is this guy an asshole? Why did this guy not return my email?" You know what I'm saying? Do you ever do that when someone's such do a I nice guy? Do I ever guy, do that? Of course I do that. Like, why not just go, "This guy's a mensch. This guy's a mensch," rather than go, "Why is this guy?" Yeah, like, yeah, I, he it, may be a mensch, but he still fucked me. I saw him on a bus. No, no, no. I'm yeah. not, no, no. I'm saying. Not you. Yeah. I harp on the other guy that's not a mensch. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Like, yeah, because like, cause it, it, it's, it's like, more exciting to be angry. I guess. I know. No, but, I mean, it keeps your brain active. I'm all angry at myself. That's the, that that cliche. No one yeah. has beaten me up, but I'm better. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I just wrote a line, but I'm sure you probably did the joke already. If anyone uh, you know says they're going to kick my ass, I'd just say, like, I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I used to do these weird non sequitur one line I used to go, I hate my guts. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes you go ah, so. so it doesn't get the laugh. It's very hard sometimes when when you do self-deprecating humor that, that there's just it's a very fine veneer between funny and sad. Yes, and if if you don't pull it off, if you just sad, it, it becomes a, a, a more of a, a, a chore for the audience. You know, yeah, like, it's, I go, I'm all right. You know, ever. or uh, stuff about my mother I write yeah. about, which is true, but. They go, this makes me uncomfortable. Uh, this is too sad. I go, what? I'm laughing about It's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, no, yeah. Sometimes it's a hard sell. Like I, I'm, I've had that too. Like, and, and also speaking about my mother, I'm like, this has to be funny. If, if it's not funny, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, because if I can't disarm it by making it funny, I'm, I'm, it'd be a disaster. Yeah, but to me, to me, what's funny is it's so perverse. It's so. The pathology of how negative, how when I was a kid, this is true. It's not even in my act. I wanted to get a job at Burger King. She goes, yeah, they're waiting for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she really said that. Not real supportive, huh? She, well, she was, said yeah. she would live vicariously right, for me. Right, and right. she said, when I was growing up, she was reliving the nightmare of school through me. <laughs> so she was instilling in me that life growing up is a nightmare because she was reliving it. Oh, my God. So, but I... Uh, people, but I don't mean to make people feel uncomfortable. I, I just think I laugh at how yeah. demented it was. Yeah. Well, I love seeing you. And I, and Mark, thank you. Thanks for coming. Can we wrap up now or no? Absolutely. Sizzle, please, sizzle. Please, please. Sizzle, sizzle. Please. <laughs> that is fuck, that's a great story. Fred is like being on uh, an exciting, uh, you know, very neurotic, um, not too scary uh, amusement park ride that's enjoyable but but sometimes you're kind you know sometimes it's like wow but that was just enough of that and that's not an insult fred so relax will you so wrestling many of you've uh have moved through with me my uh my uh, education uh, my being educated about wrestling you know which began with i think years ago with mcfoley a bit and my Producer Brendan McDonald is a wrestling fan. I, I've been schooled, uh, you know, without having been immersed in the form. Uh, CM Punk, Colt Cabana, uh, these guys helped me through. CM Punk did some stuff on my show. Uh, Marin, uh, he's a good guy, good friend. And now I'm on a wrestling uh, show, a, a, a comedy based on women's wrestlers. And this is the first time I've sat down and had a long conversation with a woman who is a wrestler. Uh A.J. Lee, as many of you know her, uh, A.J. Mendez Brooks um, is her real name. Her memoir, Crazy is My Superpower, is available now wherever you get books. And I, and I, uh, I really had a, a nice time hanging out with her. This is me and A.J. Lee uh, talking in the garage. So I can see you. Yeah, that might be. Helpful. Well, there were I had two people in here. I didn't. I didn't get it around to. <laughs> I rarely have two people. Who did you? Who did you have? The creators of the show that I do, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Oh yes. The two women that created the TV show. Oh, that's awesome. I wonder how your community is going to react to it. Yeah, I I think there's like a special love in people's hearts for Glow. Right, but it's not the the show is fictionalized. All they really got the rights to was the name Glow. Really? Okay. So I think there's uh, you know some people involved that are going to be like fuck them. 
<laughs> I think there's always, you know, when we see like a, uh, a bad all... clothesline or something yeah. like that, we get like very snooty you do? about it. Oh, yeah. Because we know the, the technique that you're supposed to have and uh, uh... There, there's definitely a, a, you know. Well, Chavo, do you know Chavo? I do know Chavo. He's he working trained. on it, right? He trained them. See, then you're he probably He trained good. all the girls. Oh, wow. All he, the he's women. amazing. So you're probably... He is amazing, and he comes from a wrestling family, right? Because I, look, I, d- I talked to your husband about this. He tried to educate me on wrestling. Right. Now, since I've talked to Punk and done an actual wrestling show, I still know not enough <laughs> about wrestling. Right. About, like, the history or about, like, the technique and stuff involved? I know a little bit more about the technique. Okay. But I think basically my problem is that it wasn't my childhood thing. Right. Like, my producer... It was, it was a wrestling kid. Ah, okay. And you were a wrestling kid. Yes, yes. It did, like it was important to you. But when you hear someone like the name Chavo Guerrero, right? Mm-hmm. What I mean, what do you know about that guy? Like you just know that he's like this historic guy. For for if like in the industry, you know him as like a pure, like a pure wrestler. Like there's some people who are just so talented, like they are just the. They are wrestling, um, right. kind of personified. Yeah. So him and his entire family. When I heard that he was going to be yeah. like teaching, right? Um, it's like that makes sense. Like that's the kind of person you want to learn from, for right. sure. Like there's there's sort of this sort of old timey road show of wrestling that's been going on for like a hundred years, right? And that you know WWE is the sort of the the utmost amplification of those concepts, right? Right. And it because it did start in the carnivals right so, yeah so but that that become then it's a full-on circus yeah but that stuff that they're doing is still a kind it kind of has that like the carnivals in town kind of feel yes yeah you always feel like you're running away with the circus when you go on the road really sure no matter oh, yeah. at no matter at what level yeah oh definitely because you're always you know you fit as many people as you can into a car and you are in a different city every night and you drive 300 miles every night to the next town. That's with the Worldwide Wrestling yeah, Foundation? and you drive yourself. So even at the beginning of that, when you you came in when it was already like big deal shit. Yeah. It was still getting on a bus <laughs> with a few people. You get and you it, are in your own rental car. And you get and you pay for your own rental car. What is that McMahon guy really rips you off at all <laughs> levels, doesn't he? He may... <laughs> He, that guy's really made a fortune <laughs> off of you guys. You, you got to rent your own car? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you pay for your own your hotel room. You, you pay, pay for your own. And... But is it part of the deal? Yeah, because you're technically like independent contractors. Right. Okay, so and you get so, an all-in deal and you got to cover your car. Yeah, but you can't work anywhere, anywhere else, so you're technically not that independent of a contractor. <laughs> but it... um. But, you know, you get paid well if you know how to negotiate. I don't know why I'm acting so surprised. I just did a tour. I'm in the middle of one. I rent cars where I go. And sometimes it's you'll great. drive the four hours as opposed to fly them. Because why fly Yeah, when it, you can drive? Yes. Always. Always drive instead of flying. It's just such a, a soul suck to like go through the airport. And it, yeah. And it's actually sort of a nourishing. It's sort of a soul enhancer to drive. Yeah. It's like meditative. Time. Yeah. Unless you're doing it at like three in the morning and it's just like you so, and yeah, another girl like, in the car and you're like, I hope I don't die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> then that's a little yeah, rough. Like, this is not the night to die. <laughs> but you won the championship three times. Yes. Now, but let's, are you retired? I am retired now. Yeah, I've been retired for the two years it took me to finish this whole book. So, so yeah. Because the thing about the book, outside of it being a memoir, it sort of serves also as a, there's a little bit of cautionary tale. There's a little self-help 
to yeah. it. And there, you know, there's a transcendence of, you know, tremendous struggle, mm-hmm. uh, both mentally and professionally. Yes. And, and, and advice. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so it kind of, it kind of covers all the bases for, uh, who, who do you think your market is? Lost girls like yourself? I mean, I hope so. Like my goal was to, in writing it, was sort of thinking about who I was when I was kind of lost and alone and young and looking for anybody to help me out. And so I, I kind of want to help that if I could go back in time and like tell her like, it's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> you can be a wrestler. Yeah, you can fight your, <laughs> physically fight your way out of this. Um, so it's sort of like for me as that young girl and it, for girls that are similar. Um, but the really cool thing doing these signings lately have yeah. been like there's like grown men and grown women and, and, and elderly people and like really, really young kids that I didn't even know knew me on TV um, that are just connecting to the message of mental health. Uh-huh. And um, some people who are like, I don't even watch you in wrestling, but you know, I I think it's cool that you're talking about this and trying to break the stigma. So it's it's kind of reaching a, a wide range. And I'm the surprised. stigma of bipolar disorder. Yes. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. Yeah, that's a heavy one. My dad's a bit of the bipolar. Really. Well, yeah, he is. Like the diagnosis seems to shift with him to okay. accommodate. Right. Right. I'm his, familiar with that. His desire to not take medicine. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. That happens for sure. Uh, you, you know, because that, that mania is so good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> and a lot of people who are creative types, like, uh-huh. really enjoy the mania. Yeah. Because sometimes you really do just, you're on cloud nine, and you think you can do everything, on, uh, you know, under the sun, and you can lift a car if you tried, but then it sort of... Um, can get dangerous when you're like, I'm going to, you know, spend all my money on like online shopping. Yeah, or and gonna, my family's money. And my family's and, money. Yeah, or, I'm going to get gonna, into a bad business deal. I'm yes. going to gamble a little bit. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it's a very slippery slope and, you know, between that and like running into traffic because you're invincible and, you know, it's it's a little, it can get scary. So. How, how far were your poles apart? I mean, how did you have psychotic breaks? So there's like bipolar one and bipolar two. Bipolar one is the one that has like more of the psychotic breaks. And um, when I was very young and I talk about a little bit like about an instance that scared me, um, I think I did identify more with bipolar one because I would um, there were sort of like delusions i think when i was younger um and what what character what classifies as a delusion because i'm i'm usually in one (laughs) (laughs) i I might be having one now sometimes you don't know if you're having it (laughs) um i think it would just be like kind of paranoid delusions and um i talk about a moment when my family of five was like living in one motel room like sharing a bed i'm already paranoid yeah (laughs) just that that amount of information yes terrified we're all in trouble <laughs> for seriously and, and i think i like i i like was freaked out about looking into a mirror and like to me i was like oh there's like another dimension in the mirror and that's a different aj that's not me and so like i would have kind of moments like that growing up where I, it was first it had its onset but um as i got older my diagnosis was bipolar 2 so it's a little bit more common yeah than that. because um, i think it's sort of a fantasy thing too like you know, where does that lead? It looks right. like a, a much more quiet and controlled place. Yeah, I definitely like that to me, escaping to the fantasy worlds was my only way out when well, I was a child, for sure. Well, what was that? What was the situation? I mean, you know, you seem pretty well adjusted now <laughs> in the four minutes that I've known you. <laughs> yeah, I would think like yeah, she's good. got her shit together. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, 
I kind of want to backtrack though sure. if from the, the 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 three championships and the character you because you fought under the name AJ Lee, mm-hmm. and that was always who you were, yeah. right? So, but like my understanding of wrestling, because I've talked to McFoley, I've talked to Colt, uh, I've talked to to Punk, but like someone like Mick. Wasn't Mick Foley like three or four? Mick Foley mankind, definitely was. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, some Dude other... Love. Right. Yeah. Like just name wise, like legally, they uh, sometimes people would own the copyright to their name. Like like they'll yeah. like own CM Punk. And yeah. so he's always been that. Um, but sometimes they would, um, well, most of the time they try to give you a new name so they can own it. Um, and so you have to pick your new name. And mine was AJ Lee because a, a voice actress in an anime's last name was Lee. And I loved her. And Oh like yeah, yeah. And, and from the get go, like once you got in, you were sort of the um, kind of uh, crazy uh, diva or girlfriend yes. or stalker <laughs> or just like um, psycho chick. Yeah, I I think you know there was a a, a standard of like all the girls were like Pamela Anderson, like perfect, right, yeah. curvy, like sex pots. And yeah. then I wasn't. And so the idea was, okay, well then what do we do with her? Yeah. Um, and so, also you're tiny. Yeah. And I'm also like every, if they were maybe like really jacked and like, you know, these Amazonian goddesses and, and I'm not. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, I don't know where to put her. And yeah. so it was, I was a very geeky character, which I am in real life. But um, so they kind of took inspiration from that. And then it just became into, okay, well, um, you would probably stalk guys because you know it's it's always going to be like an unrequited love situation with you. You're the nerdy one this that is likes the, everybody else. They're pitching else. you this stuff. You sit in a room with who? Vince? <laughs> How does this happen? Uh, it could be a mo- like a bunch of different people. So there's a whole board of creators. Yeah, there's like writers and they pitch their storylines and he picks it like yeah. which ones he wants. Right. He wants. Um, and there was one writer, Kevin Eck, who was like, "Okay, we're going to do like this Revenge of the Nerds uh, love storyline with with you and one of the other guys who's really nerdy." Um, and then that just, it was right place, right time. They needed, uh, characters to be put into the main event scene and the guy I was with, um, they pushed him to the main event scene. I just happened to be along for the ride and got really lucky. And cause you were part of the story. Yeah. Cause I was already part of it. And, um, and then it was, you know, how do we keep this going? And so I, you know, turned to a crazy stalker and no, so that's liked. really how it starts. <laughs> it starts with stories. Yeah. Definitely. And they, they've got their cast of characters, their mm-hmm. Marvel universe, their WWE E universe of characters yes. and how do we get them all engaged and bring them back or turn them into bad guys or good guys because that happens in a career you can be a heel and a face mm-hmm. right yeah and i've been both and 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 but you're still a aj lee yeah but aj lee somehow gone bad yes yeah and then Somebody gone good her. oh yeah. really yeah and i imagine your fighting style is sort of like when a like when a cat attacks a, a horse. <laughs> That's so accurate. <laughs> like when you see those wildlife videos yes. and you just see these giant animals and then like the leopard <laughs> is going to take down a giraffe and it's just like on the back yep. and it's just like, oh, she's going to annoy me to death. <laughs> That's kind of my MO in life is just to annoy people to death. <laughs> is it? Yes. Um, but yeah, definitely. You know, I, I was never going to throw girls around, right. or like overpower them or like, you know, be the jacked one. And so I had to. I You're was pretty very, jacked. Thank you. <laughs> I had to be very scrappy and, you know, sort of, you know, shyster and, and uh, you know and throw myself on people and that was like my finishing move was like kind of wrapping myself around so like your neck like a scarf almost yeah. <laughs> like just like this barnacle yes very much very much this so. aggressive parasite yeah. that you can't shake <laughs> off yeah. that's how my husband refers to me <laughs> how sweet <laughs> you and phil 
The, um, okay, so so I guess why I wanted to start there and and the success you had, and now that you're out in the world, you know, kind of ex- exploring and and sharing your experience as somebody who had real problems, that the character that you created was sort of a, a, a caricature of those problems. Yeah, I think you definitely, and and that was. So they say like the best um, wrestling characters are just a an exaggerated version of yourself. Right. Um, and I sort of stumbled into this character that was this exaggerated version of myself um, by accident because nobody knew I was bipolar. Did you? Um, I knew I was bipolar when I was like nineteen twenty. Okay. And so it was a kind of the secret that I you know didn't tell anybody and was ashamed of and. Then I was this crazy chick character on TV, and I thought that was my way to sort of hide in plain sight. And every like bad instinct I would get with my bipolar, I was like, "Oh, let me just put that on camera, and maybe the, this character will come off like really truthful." Yeah, amp and it, it up worked. a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your impulses that you were like, "Better not do that yes. unless I do it as AJ Lee." Yes, live on TV. Yeah, it was therapy for sure. <laughs> That's inactive too, and yeah. exhausting. Exercise always good. <laughs> yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. All right, so now going back, you know wh- how how were you in a family? There's four kids. Uh three kids. Three and kids. Giant and, dog. And two parents. <laughs> yes. That were together. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you end up in a hotel room? I mean, what was the story? Where are you from? Um, so we lived in New Jersey, sort of all over New Jersey. Really? What parts? I'm from New Jersey. Uh, northern New Jersey, like yeah. Hudson County. I'm um, from Morris County. Kind oh, of. really? So you're not too far. Pompton Lakes. My mother's from Pompton Lakes and uh-huh. my dad's from Jersey City. Jersey but I, City. I live in Jersey City. Where's your family from? Uh, they're from Puerto Rico. Both your parents? Yeah. Were born in Puerto Rico? Uh, I think they were born in New York, but their family's born in Puerto Rico and they live in Puerto Rico now. So what was the story with the old man? What was he up to? So my parents just had like odd jobs, you know, they never really had a solid uh, career path. And so we just became sort of gypsies. And my dad was like a mechanic or a a security guard or, you know, a a bellhop or whatever he could really. Trying to get by. Yeah. And so that made us, you know, kind of go from place to place and get evicted like more than 20 times. And so so uh, not not in a motel. Not having money, not managing money. Right. Exactly. A tall order. How how, are you the youngest, oldest? I'm the youngest, but I call myself the mom. Oh, really? (laughs) How the other ones turn out? They're good. I mean, like they're they're both married and they, you know, but I think I still feel like the Mo- caretaker of ev- of everyone. So was it so there was chaos. Definitely. Yeah, I mean my parents had kids when they were like 16, 15 and Really? Yeah, so they were kids raising kids and I don't stuff. know why I always say really like that like why wouldn't I believe you? I, I think it's like wow, that's <laughs> What if the answer was like no, not really? No, I knew it. <laughs> I it. knew it. So your mom was 15? My dad was 15, my mom was 16 when they started having kids. So they had to learn fast. You know, they had to, they were kids raising kids. So like so uh-huh. many of the things that were the first time I was going through them, you know, school-wise or, or whatever, it was their first time too for a lot of it. Right. Well, they were like 30 when you were how, like 10? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't imagine yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, my mom would like drop me off at school and people would be like, girls, get to class. And I, that's my mom. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that. So, but what? Where was the um? Like, in order for you to, I met, like it seems to me that if you're the the mom, that there must have been like some serious chaos because right. like you're going to go either way. <laughs> like if yeah. you're if you're the kid of of alcoholism or or insanity, 
Either you're going to be insane or you're going to be the one, oh, can, I can make it better. It's going to, everything's going to be good. Yeah, definitely. You were that one? I was, I was definitely the one that stressed the most. I mm-hmm. think I was, everyone was like, we'll be fine. And I was like, okay, we're not going to be fine. We have to fix this. I will fix this now. And I was uh-huh. like eight, you know? Yeah. Um. So I definitely went through my phase of being insane and breaking and, you know, going to absolute rock bottom and then kind of had to. When you were a kid? Yeah. I mean, it's teens. But like, where, like, where does it come from? Like, it, what, what were they up to? What were, what was your parents doing? So my mother was undiagnosed bipolar um, for, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, but got diagnosed at around thirty something, maybe. Um, and, and then medicated or no? And then medicated. She's medicated now. She stay on it. Yeah, thank God. But mm. it's, it took a while to and get so, it right. To get it right, it does take a while. Definitely mm-hmm. to find the right formula. And it took a while for her to just get the treatment. Um, now, when you were growing up, how did that manifest itself before diagnosis? I mean, what was her behavior like before you knew what it was? It must have been just like, what was the deal? In yeah. bed for a long time? or she def- There are definitely days like that. But um, I always say that like bipolar disorder takes who you are and it kind of distorts it into something sort of like dark and twisted and that's not you but it's it comes from a core of, of something that is you and so I was like the, the youngest one and like the you know I was always sick and so because she worried about me so much I became like the object of like her um aggression and we had a very you were the one draining her yeah and and it was a weird unhealthy relationship where she was just very like emotionally and physically abusive toward me um, in a weird way to try to protect me and yeah. like, fix me um, right. so I wouldn't become her. And really? She was aware of that? I think so. It was very it was very much, you know, I look like her. I look just like her. Because sometimes it's that they're so self-involved that if you're feeling bad and they're feeling good, they take it as some sort of attack. They, like, right. you know, it's like, why do you got to be feeling shitty on my good day? Right. Or vice versa. If you're happy and they're sad, they're like, make fuck you sad you. too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, you know, I grew up with some of that. That's a mm-hmm. narcissistic thing. And I think oh, yeah. the bipolars have a little of that. Yeah. You know, that it's about their needs right then. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the hard thing. Like, I think it's hard for the person who is bipolar, but it's so hard for the people around them who are trying to just live with that, um, especially unmedicated. What's the old man doing? Um, he is trying to get by, and he's drinking, <laughs> and, um, you know, and I think, like, they kind of would spend money for that was supposed to be on rent, on other things. Partying? And, yeah, and, um, you know, and I never really blame when i was younger i was angry at it as i got older i was like okay they didn't have childhood so they were like okay now we can have fun and you know Mm. um and so you know i I think you know we were the the parents to them you didn't yeah no yeah no yeah (laughs) we'd like get every get everyone to bed on time they can't were were they any good at discipline or making decisions or doing any of that stuff oh gosh i mean my parents were terrible at yeah. it. Yeah. They'd be like, uh, do you, I'd ask them if I could go somewhere, and, they, and my mom would be like, do you want me to say no? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I thought you were in charge. Oh, man. Um, I think they were, They it was a long time where they were too strict. And it was, yeah. you know, like, we, if you, they wanted to kind of keep us pure and, like, untainted by the world for as long as possible. And to, like, How to, do they do that when they're moving from hotel yeah, room yeah, exactly. to, to New Jersey place over and over again? Yeah, and when I'm, you know you're in like the you know around drug dealers and you know oh they were hanging out the house 
Yeah, they're around. I, mm. I stabbed uh, someone. What? I, yes. <laughs> There's a story in the book about somebody that was like in that circle that knew my dad and was in that sort of drug circle and, and came to the house looking for him and looking for money. And I had to stab him through a window. Really? Yeah, well, your dad wasn't home? No one's home. They left me on Christmas Eve. How, where'd you get him? <laughs> in the hand. Oh. Did, <laughs> but, that, did it get him away? Yeah, yeah. And cops came and my, like my pit bull was going crazy. You had and, a pit bull when you were a kid? Yeah. He was a little... little. Uh, How old were you? Gosh, at the time, uh, 13, 14 maybe? You had a pit bull and a knife. Yeah. And that, those were your babysitters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those are Puerto Rican babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> You got the dog. There's the knife. Yeah. We'll be home later. Yep. <laughs> it worked. It worked. And it made me tougher. <laughs> I guess so. But you said you were sickly? Yeah. When I was really young, I you know, I was just the tiniest little thing. And I was brought, born premature. And, yeah. And so those are just like many of the things that were like, okay, you're clearly never going to be an athlete. <laughs> and, oh, really? Yeah. And so I think that was just the fun thing to like say okay i can let me challenge that you know i can go from being the sickest person and like the weakest feeling so weak and tiny and but did you feel depressed and awful and like bleak or like it seems like there's a lot of excitement around <laughs> i was never bored that's right. for sure yeah um the depression started to to kind of manifest in me when i was um getting ready to like go to college and so, it was like 17 maybe. all right so when did when did you start what did you do? Why wrestling? When did you start to see that world as uh, as, as something you enjoyed, or um, like where you, you claim you're a nerd? <laughs> I mean, I guess you are. Are you? Yeah, I think for me. What, um, yeah. What just what 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 means nerd to you? Well, to me, I think that it used to be this like derogatory term, mm. and there's so many of us that like grew up. And like, kind of had to like be ashamed of that. Like being like the things that we were into is like, it was a bad thing. It was like embarrassing to like like comic books and video games and anime. And was that your um, things? Yeah, they were. And How'd you get hip to those? Your your brothers? I like copied anything my brother did, and um, and then fell in love with it. And for me, it was kind of just a way to get out of my the real world and feel strong in something you know there were girls that were like powerful in these things well how old were you when you started reading that stuff um probably like 10 or maybe a little younger and your brother was uh he was into it he yeah was, he was like a video game comic book guy yeah he's the gateway and wrestling <laughs> yeah and then wrestling it was like oh you can they're real life like superheroes and so i was 12 when i when i decided i was gonna do it well who are your um comic book heroes uh, I loved uh, Jean Grey. Mm -hmm. I loved her so much. The Dark Phoenix saga was like something that um, I would recreate with my Barbie dolls. And, like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like recreate the suicide scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, real, like, a, like, like kids do. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed her. I loved Fantastic Four. Yeah. I loved Spider-Man. Um, and then video games became like my... Uh, but like when the next passage and it was like, you know, Resident Evil and Final Fantasy and Metal Gear Solid. And and then I found wrestling and it was like, oh, the, these people are real. And the, there was, that's how know. that was the transition. You were, yeah, you were that was like, definitely how it went. So you watched it on TV and you're like, look at those costumes. Look yeah. at them doing that shit. Yeah. That there basically was these characters come to life. Larger than life. Mm -hmm. And but human. Yeah. 
Do you still play video games? I do, yeah. Do you and Phil sit around and play video games? <laughs> he doesn't play, but he watches me play. Like, that's his, like, peace, peaceful time. Oh, he like, meditates by watching you play yeah, video games? Yeah, yeah. He kind of spaces out, and he'll, like, you know, nap, and I'll just play video games for four hours. Do and... you ever spar? <laughs> no. No. He he will, like, it, randomly in the street, like, pick me up and, like, oh, yeah. take advantage of how tiny I am. Yeah, and throw me over his shoulder. <laughs> you never wrestled? No, I mean, I, I is that a thing in WWE? Do men and women wrestle each other? So they used to more, and then they um, became like PG, and so it wasn't very PG for guys to be they hit, want to hitting inspire on girls. That yeah, right. but the girls were able to hit the guys, and so I I always say like if we ever have kids, we can tell them um, our first kiss. I pushed him ten feet through the air um, in, through a table. You <laughs> so did? I did, yeah. It was on television. I was our my character was stalking his character. Okay. And then our first kiss, I like forced a kiss on him and then threw him through a table. Were you together at that time? No, we got together years after that, but we were friends. Yeah. Yeah. From the from the place. Yeah. Yeah. We everybody knew each other in the exactly. little world of wrestling. Yeah. All yeah. you freaks and gypsies. <laughs> yeah. All right. So okay. So you find that th- this is you decide at some point when you're ten or so that it's possible mm-hmm. to be a comic book character. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what do you start to do? Um do you start do you start dressing up? <laughs> I mean, def- I definitely broke furniture. Like I tried to like do flips and stuff into fur- like onto a bed that was like a, a futon, so it was just wood on the bottom and broke that. So and- now you're you're destroying hotel rooms. <laughs> Yes. I thought it was like a way to, if I was getting like hit at home or put through like the ringer. Were you? Yeah. and Who was hitting who? uh, My mother was like the more physical one. And so in my twisted little child's head, I was like, okay, this is practice for wrestling. It's making me physically tougher. So, so, oh, so... Well, that's not unhealthy. <laughs> I guess it's one way to get out of it. Well, you know, it's a coping it. yeah, mechanism. Yeah, definitely. That, you know, it was probably painful that your mother was physically abusing you. But the, in your mind at that point, you were empowered by the idea that forward thinking that this can only <laughs> make you stronger. And now you got to learn how to dodge. and Yeah. It really <laughs> definitely but, everything from like 12 on it was well, like did you shut your practice right did you shut your emotions off though did you cry yeah, I, mean, I think Still, there was um for a lot of my childhood i was like this kind of like open wound and then once i found wrestling and like realized like physical strength was going to be important um i did kind of disassociate from that stuff and like probably not the healthiest way but in a way that you know it felt like it was not really real and it was like practice for you know being a superhero later on and well i think that's probably the healthiest way to disassociate right like as opposed to just leave your body and watch it get hurt right and i I did i did some of that (laughs) for sure (laughs) yeah there's some moments of that no but and it's just interesting when you're older and you can look back and you've studied this stuff and you, you talk to psychiatrists and you're like oh that's what i was doing okay but it seemed to have a form that yeah. that served you. I guess that's a lucky break for you. Yeah, I did. I it was it was good. I was very lucky that I had something to kind of look forward to. I guess yeah. like I have to get out of this house and I can go do that. But did you you never got fucked up on drugs or booze? No. So I was always very afraid of 
drugs because I had kind of seen the effects of it around me. Yeah. Um, and then the only the only time I was ever on painkillers is when I overdosed. <laughs> How old were you? Mm, 19 or 20, 21. So you were, you were in college? Uh, I'd gotten kicked out of college. No, let's, let's talk about that. So now you're an aspiring superhero. <laughs> right. With a, a, a pretty disturbing history of abuse and chaos. And where'd you, where'd you end up going to, to college? Um, because I loved, you know, the, the world of fantasy. I would write a lot and write my own, like, uh, fantasy novels. And so I really wanted to get into, like, screenwriting. And I went to Tisch School of the Arts at um, NYU. Yeah. Um, for a solid six months um, before they were like, oh, you have no more money. Please leave. And um, How'd you get in there? On a scholarship? On, a, on scholarships, yeah. Um, and yeah. So you kicked just, ass in high school. I did. I did really well. I kind of forced myself to. I wasn't very naturally good at school, but I wanted to but get But you out. could wrangle it. Yeah. Yeah. Coming <laughs> from your family, you got to keep that shit together. <laughs> I just have to apply myself, right? Yes. It was definitely, I was good at. At, like bullshitting my way through some stuff that I didn't know, you know, like science, like science projects, and that's you know, hard shit to like bullshit that. through science. I figured a way out to like <laughs> present really well. Yeah, um, were you wearing superhero costumes? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome if it was just, like my entire high school career. It, all your science presentations were like magic tricks. <laughs> like, Look over know. here. <laughs> but it was definitely, you know, like uh, what do they say? Those like s- snake oil salesmen. Sure. Um, wait, there's one running the country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was me in high school. No, it's oh, a not classic that American uh, disposition. Oh, God. The huckster. <laughs> but that's what, yeah, but in a lot of ways, that is, you know, wrestling indulges all of that. Oh, definitely. In a, in a spectacle as mm-hmm. opposed to an actual system of government. But there's no shortage of bullshit artists in this country. <laughs> but that was, you know, so, so I... To me, like being creative and yeah. like writing stories, that was where I wanted to to go, and so I st- started studying that. Yeah. Um. So you're in school, and you have not, you're you're like you've ex- you're not diagnosed yet. Um. No. Right when I got kicked out is when I got diagnosed. So, was your behavior questionable? Like, were you experiencing mania in that? Yeah, um, I think I my mania was different in in it was manifesting itself mostly in like paranoia, and so like I would huh. it was hard for me to like leave my dorm room. Um, I would like walk up to the door and like I there was like a power in the handle of the door and I couldn't touch it and it was just too much and I would start having a panic attack uh, thinking mis- of, like mystical thinking yeah it was just very strange like I magical d- thinking <laughs> you know yeah it's yeah it felt like like the world could see was like looking at me and like kind of shaming me for being poorer than all the other students and um was there a conspiracy it, against you I oh, maybe a little I yeah. felt like anytime I went to like the lunchroom everyone was like oh poor girl you know and oh, so and that- it was very uncomfortable just always and and i was always on edge and but so. you never got that um when i was at my worst mentally there was drugs involved though i thought that like you know i was being you know selected by forces mm. that were unknown to me like ah. i was literally living in a comic book like you know that that <laughs> that i was going to be given a task oh, that shit. was that was going to play itself out in a pretty big way i just wasn't clear oh my god was. thank god i never got the directions. <laughs> 
<laughs> you might still. I don't know. <laughs> Someone might show up at your door. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> uh, you know, you remember we were after you back when you were 22. <laughs> yep, well, yep. Time to pay. Oh, man. There's definitely like other, like thinking outside of yourself where like, oh, I'm having these thoughts because, you know, there's, there's some something else in, in control. And right. There's a weird way of oh, thinking. Oh, you had that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I just didn't realize that. I didn't know what bipolar disorder was. So, that's, so, so bipolar, with bipolar, that that is... Is that still called mania, that kind of weird mystical paranoia thing? I think it, they, they separate it between depressive cycles and manic cycles. Okay, so, so it it's is part like part of the manic cycle. Yeah, the up cycle is the, the manic cycle. And some so, people love them. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I, 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 I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen the love of the manic cycle. Right. Yeah. It, it's not real capable of love, uh, <laughs> the manic cycle. <laughs> it's a very self-serving thing, that thing. But so... Did that play into you uh, fucking up in college? Do you think? Um, I I had like straight A's and I just didn't have enough money. Okay. And um, that's a shame. And well, it definitely was the at the time I thought it was the end of the world, but it worked out because that I started training to wrestle. So, but it what about getting help? Where where did this? Um, so you get kicked out of school and you talk about this painkiller. Right. Did you? ever go see a shrink why not yeah so my at the time my mom was really having a breakdown uh, right when i went to school i think just like being on her own and you know her baby was gone um and so uh i uh, at the time nyu was known as the jumper school because so many kids were like jumping from like the library and killing themselves really yeah they had to put like fencing up in the library so people would stop jumping from like the top floor of the library no kidding i didn't know that yeah and they had to, like um bolt all the windows because people were jumping out of their dorm rooms and Uh because new york is just can can be a very lonely place especially if you're you know 18 and alone um and so there was like posters everywhere in school that said don't jump like really dramatically yeah yeah and um and there was like like hotlines and like um they the school would basically help you get um the counseling if you needed it and so that was sort of the first step when i was still in school trying to figure that out never when you were a kid no uh, a house full of sickos and but no one believed in mental illness and so they just thought okay she's in a bad mood yeah exactly yeah you were weak if you if you believed in it and and that's part of the uh the stigmatization yes that's a that is a general disposition towards any kind of mental illness or addiction problems that there's just sort of like pull it together, man. Yeah. So you grew up with that. You grew mm-hmm. up with like drugs and booze and an undiagnosed bipolar and everything's <laughs> like, we're keeping it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you keep it yeah, together? Toughen up. <laughs> You pansy. Yeah, boy, don't you realize you're part of the problem? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was definitely it. And and then once I realized my mother was like beyond help and like I was like, okay, I'm starting to learn about like depression and stuff. I thought I was going to therapy, like counseling to help her. Uh, and I didn't realize that like I was going, I didn't realize I was also going through it. Well, have you, have you looked into codependency? Do you know <laughs> yeah. <it>? Oh, yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, oh, yeah. Does that stuff resonate with you too? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we, my mother and I had uh, both overdosed and were hospitalized um, in the same year. So oh, it, we should have done it together. I know. We should have just held hands and <laughs> Thelma and Louise yeah. did. Give me the rest of them. Oh, God. <laughs> It, it it just I you know you try you see something and you're so afraid of it and then that is what you end up becoming you know you kind of can it's, write your own self fulfilling to... prophecy sometimes. Well, but that's the tricky thing also with mental health is that 
there there's a self-fulfilling prophecy but there's also like the wiring of right. who you are you know it there's a there's a biological component and mm-hmm. then there's a, a environmental commo- component yeah. and both of them are are equally as powerful in my belief I'm no clinician but you know once those things are set in yeah all you can do is act against them mm-hmm. and hope it sticks you know on a behavioral level yeah right like don't do that don't ruin this yes. don't don't, don't fuck take, this up right like yeah. so you have to have that self talk but the the biological component, the chemical component, it's harder to identify, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. So so when you say you overdose, I mean, what what led up to the to the pills? Why were you taking them? What I had just started, uh, I'd get kicked out of school, and I was going to see. Um, it was sort of this like perfect storm. I got kicked out of school. I started wrestling training. I broke my Wait, foot. Where do you start wrestling training? Where do you say like I'm ready for my outfit? <laughs> So you, I got really lucky, and there happened to be a school, uh, a, like maybe like a mile away from where my apartment was. In New York, uh, in New Jersey. Where was this now? Um, this was in Union City, New Jersey. Okay, like there was a wrestling school. Yeah, like a clown college. Kind of, like yeah, it's basically like if you <laughs> have some sort of skill in wrestling, you can open a school. There's no like you know license or anything you need. You could just uh-huh. put up a ring and say, "Hey, pay me money, and I'll train you." Well, there's a whole world of wrestling that you know that Phil sort of came backyard shit. Yeah, it's like a step up shit. from that. Yeah. And and then when you train in, uh, you know, on your own, um, in like these things that are not WWE related, you do the independent circuit and it's like the smaller like bingo halls and VFW halls and um, high school gyms and stuff like that. Right. That That's the the old school kind of like meat and potatoes. Yeah. Wrestling. Yeah. Not getting paid. There's like six people in the crowd and you know, you just, ju- you just do it for the experience. It's sort of a little what you see uh, in the wrestler, the film. Right. And there is definitely a feel of like it being a little bit hokier, a little bit more of like exactly what we saw when we were growing up. Yeah. Like a callback to that, like the Macho Man days um, when you are on the Indies. It's definitely more of that. And it's a little bit of an awakening, a, a rude awakening when you get onto the main roster and you're like, oh, they don't do it that way. But it seems like those <laughs> older ones, there's more blood. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's definitely a thing that they like cut out um, just because it was PG. But like I remember being in developmental and like. My tooth went through my face and yeah. I was bleeding everywhere. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. This is like what I used to watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. Ever. Because I remember those wrestling magazines when I was a kid. I'm older than you. I'm 53. But I go down to the drugstore to get my mom's cigarettes. And they have those pro wrestling magazines. And every week on the cover, it was just some guy covered in fucking blood <laughs> and another guy holding his head. Oh, my God. It yeah. was crazy. And yeah. I was like, I don't know how or why I did not gravitate towards that. Then I was just sort of like, <laughs> what the fuck? It was always like next to the true crime magazines there were true crime magazines where you just saw a corpse oh god you know no but not like graphic but then right. there'd be the wrestling magazine just like bloody guys with blonde hair you oh know it's making their hair pink yeah, yeah it's that's just, always a, just good look. a mess oh but anyway so getting back to clown college and wrestling <laughs> school so who runs this wrestling school uh just like old like people who have trained and maybe they did something with the WWE at some point or um, one of the smaller federations. It's basically like anyone can do it. Like I, I trained in a, in a building that is now condemned and got knocked down and, you know. So what? So now when you do this, not see, now this is the thing, not unlike, like, like if you're going to box, mm-hmm. you're going to fight. So, you know, there there's a, a skill set that's required in boxing that ultimately is 
spontaneous right that, you know it's it, you, you're you're it's a sport mm-hmm. now when you're doing wrestling i imagine that there's a series of basic moves mm-hmm. that become more like uh, a dance routine almost yeah. or or certain things that you know you kind of have a, a series uh like it's more like uh uh there's a what, what am i looking at you're not you have to train physically obviously to be in shape to do it but you're really going there to learn the ballet of wrestling yeah definitely i always i always say it's like the love child of like cirque du soleil and snl uh-huh. because there is so much you can you can choreograph and prepare for and you guys have to be a team and you have to make it look like you're murdering each other while like saving each other's life at multiple points during the match right um but then you also have to adjust on the fly and like just make stuff up if something goes wrong or if the timing's off or if the crowd doesn't like what you had planned and you have to change it right then and there you have to be able to now talk to your opponent without anyone surrounding you hearing uh-huh. um, and you're surrounded on all sides so like it's impossible to have a conversation so you do it in headlocks yeah you do there's like a, definitely this art form to like as i'm lifting you and you're passing right by me and i can say you know oh really it's like a shortened language that you use oh really yeah so um and that so you have to learn that and so it's you learn those in basic you learn those as you go along like I think, but at the end the more of your career, you yeah. Get. But that's not like what are the you go to the wrestling school and what what what's like what's day one like? Day one was like two hundred bumps. And the, have you taken a bump in your? Have you trained at all when you're doing the show? No, or? I'm not supposed to know anything about it. Oh, okay. I, I lucked out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a hack film director who got saddled with the job oh. of making a women's wrestling show. Okay, okay. So a bump is like, um, if you've seen the matches, it's when you fall on your back and yeah. like you um, basically. I, s- I saw them do it. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically a way that you hit the ground maybe like thirty times in one match, but you make the, the loudest noise you can make so it looks like your your body's like breaking but you um protect your head and your spine and your hips and it's a way to like so that's le- out lesson safely. one falling yes lesson one really is falling right yeah because that's the basis of everything in wrestling yeah. is just falling down so, so now when you went to this school after nyu after you're going to be a, a screenwriter right this is really this was your real dream this was de- like I definitely was like, okay, which one is going to take off? But this was the one that was my childhood dream for sure. So now it was like, okay, this is where I was supposed to be. So when you got there, you're like, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, it nearly killed me. I got like pneumonia after the first week because my body, I was like 90 pounds. I had never lifted a weight. Were you anorexic too? No, God, no. I love food way too much. Yeah. Um, but I looked it. Yeah. I looked really sick and, uh, and I could not handle like falling that many times. But and- you weren't depressed yet. This was, yeah, I was, I mean, I was in and out for sure, uh-huh. and wrestling was like a bit of a reprieve. Uh-huh. And then when I got hurt, that's when I got prescribed painkillers, and I had also just started With the therapy. pneumonia? What, what got hurt? I How broke you, my foot. You broke your foot doing yeah. what? A backflip off of someone's back. <laughs> and okay. uh, it was basically a guy like through This is at way. school? Mm-hmm. At the wrestling school? Yeah. So you're already down. You're out for the season. <laughs> yeah, it's out for a little while. And they gave you what, oxys? Well, I, I always make sure I never like tell people the formula because I don't want people to try it themselves. <laughs> so, But the, you were prescribed- a pain painkiller, You were prescribed yeah. a painkiller for your foot. Yeah. You're not feeling great. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I just happened to get hit with a depressive cycle at the exact same time. And I had um, antidepressants also. And yeah, where'd you get those from the NYU I doctor? Started, I, started, well, I started there like a counselor through school. And then I started going on my own to a psychiatrist um, and a therapist. Uh-huh. 
Um, and so, yeah, I had that and I was afraid of it and had it in a drawer and didn't look at it. So you had the diagnosis? Yeah. Uh, no, I had a, I was diagnosed as depressed, right. not bipolar, yeah. So they're giving you the standard prozac whatever. Yeah, and the, th- the problem is when you're bipolar, you cannot take yeah. antidepressants. It just makes it 10 times worse. Right, because it doesn't, like, my understanding, or it used to be the thinking was you had to, you know, do something to level the baseline of the depression and then start to bring the poles together, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's basically that you have to find that balance, but yeah. antidepressants just shoot you through the roof and that's... Certain ones, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it, it's complete opposite of what you need. And so what it ends up doing is making you way more depressed. And and it was just kind of the perfect storm of, of waking up one day in a really deep depressive cycle and not realizing I was in it yeah. and just go- saying, oh, I'm in a lot of pain. Let's make this pain go away. You, but do you, but like, like I'm, I don't always know what depression is mm-hmm. for myself. So, because like if you have bipolar 2 or you're dysthymic, which I've been diagnosed as both, um, you know, it's sort of like, it's just the way your brain works. So you're mm-hmm. like, you know, like, is, doesn't everyone full of dread? Right. <laughs> Isn't everybody, doesn't everybody see how bleak it is? Yeah. I mean, so it's now hard to identify. I know. I know the difference now because you can I've been, feel it's it. been 10 years of like therapy and medicine and, and everything. But now like, I'm like, oh, it's just a depressive cycle. But at the time I was like, oh, the world is ending. Well, what, what, what characterized that? I mean, what, what was the feeling exactly? So for me, out? physically it was like, there was like, I felt heavier yeah. and I would like wake up and just feel like I was like covered in like like a lead blanket and there was a cloud over my head and, right. and I couldn't taste food and I couldn't sleep and it was just like, oh, I'm completely broken. Like, and I didn't have an answer for that right. at the time I was told it was depression. Yeah. Um, and so I just was like, okay, maybe how do I make the depression go away? This bottle? <laughs> um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and I, and I, it was just the same day and I got this like splitting headache and I was just having this weird depressive cycle and it, it did I made the wrong choice and ended up overdosing? But it was a choice. You're like I'm like I'm gonna do myself in. So I definitely I like to like I when I talk about it now I do t- say it's like my it was my suicide attempt. Yeah. But in the moment and I think for so many people it there it's shades of gray. You don't you just want to make a pain stop and you don't know what you're sometimes you're not in control and you're just doing what feels right to make you feel better right there in the moment and maybe you don't care if you live or die that's different um and it's a little different because you don't really know in the moment right and so i in the book i try to say like i didn't know at the time if it was a suit like i call it that now but at the time i wasn't sure but i thought they should have treated it like it was a suicide attempt and they didn't that you were in so much existential pain yeah and then also on top of the physical pain that you got sloppy yeah definitely and i just said okay this you know this will make me feel better and uh you know the hospital was just like okay you know you just you accidentally overdosed on these painkillers well, well how'd you get what what happened did you call the fucking uh no so i got and- really lucky and my i was living with my sister at the time uh. and um, and I, I can't even like remember taking everything, but I, I took everything and was just like kind of like throwing up on myself, it, like laying on the floor in the living room. My sister came home and just threw me in her car and, and um, took me to the hospital and they, you know, saved my life. And Pump your stomach? Yeah, the whole, the whole shebang where I just remember waking up and I had 
track marks on my arms um, from everything that had been stuck into my arms. Um, and it was just these black lines. And it was just like my shame lines of like, oh, look what you did to yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was my wake up call into like getting a proper diagnosis because I realized, OK, it's not depression. I didn't react well. You know, I'd, something's wrong here. And my mom had just got was also diagnosed with depression accidentally, you know, mistakenly and then was just diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I realized, okay, that's me too. Yeah, it does travel, right? Yeah, it's definitely genetic. All right, so now you get the proper diagnosis, and now they start trying the pills. Yeah. Let's see which ones work. Mm-hmm. You know, if, they, if you start slurring your speech or you can't wake up, it might not be the right <laughs> dosage. Yeah, and that's what scares people because it, it's, it feels like an uphill battle to, like, find your right dosage. But, like, once you get past that, like, sometimes it can be six months for people. Sometimes it can be two months. Sometimes it's maybe longer. I don't know. For me, it was a, it was the, just the right amount of time where, like, I could get through it. And at and first... your foot's healing. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you feel like a robot sometimes. And, and then you feel like maybe it's not, you know, it's too much for you. But you find the right combination of, like, the right medicine for you. Mm. Um, the particular brand, dosage, all that stuff. Um, and then the other stuff too, like working out really helped me, like getting endorphins into my system. Um, just having like a job, having a purpose helped well, me. Well, when did you get that gig? So you now you're you're getting on medicine, you're balancing out the medicine, you're doing the wrestling school. But when did you know what what was the audition process for WW? What was it F at that time? I think it it just turned. It was WWE, yeah, mm-hmm. for a couple of years at that point. So they would have a camp every year, um, and if you were on the independent circuit, you could like. Um, pay them to try out. And but you so, were doing the independent circuit. I was doing the independent circuit. So you went to school for how many years? Wrestling, wrestling school? Wrestling school, uh, two and a half years. And that, and then you started professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much simultaneously. You so train you, and you try to because do you, shows. Right, and, so you meet people and you, it's sort of yeah. like, can I get on that ticket mm-hmm. kind of deal? Kind of like comedy. Like you're like, yeah. is there a space? Is there like, do you want to do a, a fight with me? Is that what you yeah. say? Yeah. Is, is there a girl? On, do you need a girl for the show? Because those are very rare, you know, to have girls right. on the show. And uh-huh. um, so, yeah, you definitely just kind of wheel and deal and, and, and you don't get paid anything, but it's just but experience. But you get experience. Yeah. Um, and you get to try shit out. Yes. Yeah, that's where you get to make your, your mistakes and nobody really sees it. <laughs> um, Except a room full of whatever comes. <laughs> like six people. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Sometimes that many. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, I mean, I didn't mean that, but like only that many. Yeah, yeah. So and, it's a lot like comedy. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, you need, I think those are like the 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 character building years for sure. Um, but you're not really worried about story as much as you are just the practical yeah, moves. Yeah, it's really right. just not being afraid in front of a crowd uh-huh. of six people, um, but so, just like performing, yeah. you know, and, and, and not really, you know, just getting like the basics out there uh-huh. when it's like scary and the pressure's on. So how much had you done uh, by the time you went to the camp? I had not much. Uh, I probably only had like 20 matches under my belt, mm-hmm. maybe less than, and um paid to try out and everyone in the indies is like oh it's just a ripoff they just want your money it's you know who pays who says give me money and i'll let you try out um but for me it was everybody yeah for me it's like (laughs) hey they're gonna be there right they're gonna see us right so it's an opportunity in in my racket it's sort of like if you bring 10 people you can go on stage yeah yeah that's kind of bringer show yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's sort of what you know you have to invest in yourself ultimately And um, so that's what it felt like. And I saved for a whole year. I missed the first one, saved money money for a whole year, and then um, paid to try out and yeah. got signed. 
by who does that? Does Vince do that? It's uh, basically like, like the producers and agents and like the people who do the hiring, like a, the talent department. Um, yeah, they they signed me. It was mm-hmm. like a group of like seventy guys. And then and, what happens? Um, Did you know the women wrestlers? Were there still women that you watched when you were a kid wrestling? No, there were some, um, but they were like already on the main roster. And so when you get signed, you go to developmental, which is like the minor leagues. But there were still some working that you looked up yeah, to? Yeah, like definitely. Who? Uh, Beth Phoenix. Uh-huh. Um, she was like uh, one of the ones that started to break the mold. And like she, you know, all the girls were like Pamela Anderson, but she was like, Pamela Anderson like jacked like mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Um, so it was she was really interesting to me. And Did you get to meet her? I got to wrestle her for her last match. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, and she was at my tryout too, and and gave me like words of encouragement and oh no like, really So sweet. that was exciting. So you knew yeah. her like when did you like watch her when you were like thirteen or something? I watched her not I, maybe I was like eight, uh, 17, 16, uh-huh. 17. and um, so that just like lap, we overlapped each other, and that like worked out really well for me. So like what <laughs> what is that YouTube video of you crying when you met which wrestler? Oh, was so that? that's Lita. She didn't she wasn't wrestling at the time, but she was like in and out. And I met her backstage one time, and um, I was like, uh, you might not remember this, but this is us me- meeting when I was an infant. Um, and, and that was so important to me because if she had been like a dick that day, like when I was a kid, like maybe How I wouldn't have you? wrestled. God, maybe 12. I, I, it's so, where'd you find that footage? Um, I had them find it. Um, it told when we were doing... When I was first signed, there was like a, a competition show they put us into, and um, and I told them like that um, I had been to one of her signings and I had been to like a WrestleMania like lined up for tickets and they have footage of that of me like a little. They just had it. Yeah, they keep like an archive. It's really cool. And they yeah. dug that up. Yeah, and it's, it's so touching. Yeah, because like for me, like if she was mean to me as a kid, like but she I was maybe your... wouldn't have done it. You but know? she was your hero. Yeah, she was definitely one of the girls that was like, hey, it's okay to be different. It's okay to like be the underdog. Yeah. And you can, you know, make your own way when you, you know, if if you make it there. And that, so that, that recording is so moving. <laughs> it definitely like changed, it changed my life. You know, it could have gone one way or the other. And she was luckily really cool. Um, and then when I like met her in real life, she yeah. was like, "Oh, that was cool," you know, and and was. I and mean, it's gotta go feel like, weird. But for you her. don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but um, but it's cool. So like, I'll do signings now, and like people will do like little split screens of like picture of me meeting her, and like a picture of like a little kid coming up and meeting me and like uh-huh. crying, and it's like blows my mind. Like you know, you hope so, that that just keeps going. Yeah. So how long did it take for you to get from what did they? What's the 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 entry level stage? It's, uh, it was FCW at the time, so it's like a developmental. Uh-huh. And when did you cross over in the big leagues? Um, it was like two and a half years in developmental, which is longer than And what do you do normal. in developmental? <laughs> um, you just train every single day and um, like all day long. You just watch tape. You go to the gym. You um, you do like little shows that kind of reminiscent of the indies. Well, were you now because of your size and your weight, were you developing a style? Were you conscious of that? Because it, it seems that... Whatever your signature moves were, they were completely relative to tactics that you had to employ to make the winning <laughs> convincing. Yeah, yeah. It was wasn't there like a precedent I was going to power on anybody. Um, no, it was, it, I think like a lot of the time it was, it'd be hard because people would be like, well, I wouldn't, 
if she hit me, I wouldn't fall because she's so tiny. And then it's like, okay, well, if I threw you against the ropes, you probably wouldn't run right back at me. Like there's a suspension of disbelief in wrestling. No, I get that. Um, but still like but you, you had do to... have to find stuff that makes it believable. And for me, that was flying at people like a spider monkey. <laughs> 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 That's all I could do. What did you know the day you figured that out? Or was it a natural evolution? Um, I think it was in like training school in like the Indies when I realized, oh, I can't, I'm not strong enough to lift people. Everyone's bigger than me. Uh, I have to figure out a different way to kind of be like the scrappy one in case if, if I ever do want to like, you know, believably win a match. Yeah. Um. So it was just like flying at people and, and doing more aerial stuff or just like sneaky underhanded stuff or submission moves where I could wrap around them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And did you choke people out? <laughs> from their uh, shoulders I, <laughs> I did I did have some submission ones that were like a sleep, like sleeper hold oh, yeah? and stuff like that yeah like they couldn't get you off and yeah. then they just it started to happen yeah I gotta I gotta watch more wrestling <laughs> were you were you aware of the glow glow girls it's a little bit before my time but we were all especially in developmental um, the girls in our group we, we had watched the documentary about them um, together and that was sort of like a bonding experience and just to see what it, what it had been for women at one point. The um, first wave of that. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was really cool. Like that's a just a different world. Yeah, it was it's sort of interesting, yeah. you know, that you know, they came from all different factions. And yeah. They, uh so all right, so so you wrestle, you develop a style, you become a wrestling star, you win three championships, you're on medication the whole time. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> when did you come go public with that? A few months ago <laughs> yeah with this book yeah i just um when i knew i was going to retire and i knew the next step was to start writing because that that was you know what made me feel strong before wrestling did was yeah. writing um i, I knew that th it, the message i did want to send was talking about mental health and so it was sort well, of the like, book is called crazy is my superpower yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so i needed to kind of put my money where my mouth is and and show the side of myself that i always kept hidden and I, I just didn't want to like blindside people and have the book come out and have them learn about it for the first time then. Yeah. So I like wrote a, like a, a post on my website about like, okay, hey, this has been going on, you know, since I was like 19. And, you know, and I think it's a strength. I think it helps you see the world in different colors. And um, and so this is what my book is going to be about. Don't be surprised. <laughs> and what was the response immediately? Oh, my gosh. I was so scared. I thought, you know. It's the internet. You think yeah. that everyone's just going to shit on you. No, just and... men. <laughs> that's just dick pics. That's, that's, those still come. Yeah. Um, but um, no, was... I know women can be awful too. But my <laughs> my experience with like even when we had comments on the website here mm -hmm. is that if I talk to almost any woman, that there's just what I call an uh, army of unfuckable hate nerds out there. <laughs> oh my god. That that you know just like they just live. <laughs> To shit on chicks. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like an uh, an ever present yeah. wave of that. Yes, constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, like it would be like I just have women in here, comedians or whatever, and no one hardly ever went to my comment board. But as soon as I had a woman on, it was just like this onslaught of garbage men. An antenna went up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's time, yeah. Time to shit on a chick. <laughs> so. But it's so. But I know women are, are you know, can be pretty vicious. But but the, that was not the predominant reaction. Right. Yeah. Surprisingly, and um, 
the coolest part of it was like people I had known for years, um, people who were like really close friends, uh-huh. um, were like uh, were either saying I I love someone who is bipolar and I've never talked about it, or I am bipolar and I've never talked about it, or I have depression and I've never talked about it. And so like it sort of opened up like people that have been ashamed to talk about it are now like okay now I can go to AJ and talk about it. Um, and that's like the coolest thing in the world to me because that's all I wanted. To, to come out of writing this book yeah and yeah man you offer sort of suggestions to that i think what it really comes is people get isolated within themselves mm-hmm. you know so they're out in the world you know feeling like they're you know fucked up and and alone and they have to hide all this stuff but you know you're able to sort of show that it it really makes you a unique individual and not necessarily that if you treat your illness that all those things that make you unique can be proactive yes definitely i to me i think that like we the world only talks about mental illness when it's too late when either someone's like killed themselves or has had a breakdown or is there there's some sort of like drama and salaciousness involved and so people are like don't want to be associated with it in Uh that way and so for me I think like the first step is just like finding someone to be to talk about it to um, accepting it and like treating it because my life didn't start until I started treating it. Um, and then the whole world opened up. Um, but also to realize that like it's not this like curse. It can it can be a gift. It is. I, you and know, it's treatable. Call it a superpower. Yeah. And it's treatable. You can harness it and live every day healthily. And really, there is always help available if you look for it. Definitely. There are people out there that will want to help you, friends or family. And if it's not, there's medical professionals. You know, yeah. there's options. There's so many options. Yeah. And there's, you know, f- free options. Yes. It's just that you don't have to to be isolated with it. Now, what is your experience with, you know, other people in wrestling? Because not like comedy is sort of a, a bunch of misfit people. <laughs> and like, as I look through the book, I, I started to think like, is wrestling sort of a bunch of uh, kind of weird, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, unique individuals that don't fit into regular society as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, like who, like what kind of group of people is like, Oh, I want to wear spandex and like fight crime. I guess you know? it's a like, stupid question. <laughs> you know, when no, you it's see... not. But it's 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 definitely like you have to be so peculiar to say I'm going to do this. I'm going to be like the closest thing to a real life superhero. Yeah, there's either something in you that you know wants to feel safe or wants to feel strong and never did, um, or you want to you know just feel like the good guy or. There's definitely something a little broken in all of us, I think. Yeah, right. And and then the beautiful thing about that world, no matter how exploitive it might be on a business level, is that it does function as a community. Yeah, and that's that's the cool thing is that like you you better get along because you're on the road 300 days a year and you know five days a week and Uh all these hours spent together. Like you have to become a family, or it's just miserable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Now, and the thing about Phil or Punk. Is that now? Did you really steal him from another wrestler, or was that just a <laughs> script? No. Okay. So I <laughs> stalked him in real life. That's a real life. Re- no. <laughs> in the show, I stalked him and like three other guys at the same time, and I had, I had kind of. I think I like broke one guy's heart and went to another guy in the show uh, in the show in real life we were friends for a really long time and then we're 
uh, then we dated and got married really fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> we get married in like four or five it's not as Not as dramatic as the show. No, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. The book's great. You seem good. Say hi to Phil for me. I will. You feel all right about this? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, I'm sure he'll listen. We listen to you all the time on our, our car rides. He knows all this. <laughs> he know. yeah, he's, he's, he's over it. No, he's really cute and been supportive and like been watching every interview I have. And Oh, good. Yeah, so he'll definitely tune into this. <laughs> and tell him to be careful for Christ's sake. I know, oh gosh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I want to talk to him in a year when he realizes this real fighting business was some unresolved childhood bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I think I think he would say like his life just with like uh, Puerto Rican girl from New Jersey is uh-huh. more dangerous. Oh, you know, okay. his everyday life. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> well, thanks for talking. Thank you. A lot of perseverance in that story. I was, uh, it was really nice to hang out with uh, with her, and I, I, I actually like maybe I could double date. Me and Sarah could go out with AJ and uh, Punk someday. And may, are they here in Chicago? I wonder. If, you know what? I can do this off mic in my own head. All right, I got to go to work. Um, I'll probably talk to you on Monday. Back in the garage. All right. All right. Boomer lives. <laughs> 